Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is writing to a church that needs to know something about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the great love chapter. Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not love, I am become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That's 1 Corinthians 13. Paul ends this book, this letter, this way. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And tucked in these pages, Paul unfolds the love story of God. You know, there have been some great love stories that have been seen throughout the years. A Romeo and Juliet. A great love story. Anthony and Cleopatra. A wonderful love story. Sir Lancelot and Genevieve, you remember that one? Another love story. How about Gone with the Wind? Rhett Butler and Scarlett O'Hare, a love story. And who could forget this love story? <laughs> but the greatest love story that was ever told was found when we understand that God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. You see, that love story started at the cross. The cross where God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that love story was completed as the tomb was empty and it was a declaration that he is not here, he is risen as he said. Now, that love story started right back in the beginning, back where a relationship with God was broken. And it was, it was broken just like every other relationship is broken today, broken because of selfishness. Adam and Eve wanted to do their own thing. Adam and Eve understood what God said because they lived in a perfect environment, had perfect communication from God, had perfect fellowship with God, but yet... They violated God's truth. When God said, don't eat of the tree, and they did. And yet, that began a love story where the seed of the woman would be bruised in the heel by the serpent, but the seed of the woman would bruise the head and give a death blow to sin and death and the grave. You know, that's where we are today. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And why do we do that? Because of our selfishness. Every act of sin is an act of selfishness in our lives. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the love story is God giving to us a gift. Because the scripture says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? And that is a free gift, and all we have to do is receive the gift. 
that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with God through his son Jesus Christ, that's exactly what you need to do. You need to respond to God's love story. And you need to trust Christ as personal Savior. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 gives to us that story, and we are just going to briefly look at that love story today. And we are going to understand something about how it applies to us in recognition of God meeting our basic needs. So where do we start with this love story? We start with the gospel. And it is indeed the love of God. Are you in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. The good news. Evangel is the word there. It has the idea of telling forth a wonderful story. Isn't it great to talk about wonderful stories in our lives? We all like to do that. Like to talk about our kids, then we like to talk about our grandkids. The gospel is a wonderful story. It's a gospel, Paul says, I preached to you, which you receive, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Here it is. Here's the gospel. Verse 3. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That is the gospel. You see, the gospel begins with God's love. Now, we could capsulate God's love in some familiar verses. John 3, 16 and 17. You know John 3.16, don't you? Will you quote that with me, please? For God so loved the world. Now, do you know John 3.17? For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's love. And as you look at this love story, you begin to understand That it is the greatest love that there could ever be. It also has the greatest scope because God so loved the world. And the greatest invitation that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. And that's the greatest gift that one could ever receive. And that was God's great plan. Because it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift. Love story gift. Gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. But this love story, this love story is open to inspection. We need to look at the love story. And Paul reminds these believers That it's not something that you have to trust on blind faith. Because that love story was validated in the lives of those who saw Jesus. Look with me, verse 5. And he appeared to Cephas, that's Simon Peter. Then to the twelve. 
Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some had fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, least of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles. If you study the scriptures, you discover there were 10 post-resurrection appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ. From the time they discovered that he was not in the grave any longer, that the stone had been rolled away, and they wondered what had taken place, he validated the fact that he was alive. Ten times he appeared. And then Paul says, he appeared to me. That's documented in Acts chapter 9. On that road to Damascus where he went to persecute believers, Paul saw the resurrected Lord. And then we could go to the book of Revelation where John saw Jesus high and lifted up. The truth is that his love is open to examination so that we might understand the wonder of his love. You want to know whether God loves you? Look around. If you're looking for it, you'll find it. Scripture says those who seek me will find me. And you do not have to guess about what God wants to do in your life. Because that love story is open for inspection. But the reality is, if that love story is not true, all that we have is vain. It's empty. And Paul honestly examines that fact. Verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all. All people most to be pitied. Wow. And what does Paul say? If it's not true, our preaching's vain. If it's not true, our faith is empty. If it's not true, we're misrepresenting God. And if it's not true, we're still dead in our sins. That's a pretty sad state of affairs, isn't it? That'll depress you. And here we thought that Easter was supposed to be uplifting. Verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead. Amen? Yeah, we ought to applaud that. Thank you. Come on. But now, I'm going to give you another shot at it. 
Verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead. Amen. God has done something miraculous here. Because of his love to us, the truth now enters our lives. That he is risen. He's not here. He told you he was going to. And he kept his word. Aren't you thankful that God keeps his word? And that's exactly what happened in this love story. God kept his word. Jesus, in John chapter 11, declared, I am the resurrection and life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And then he asked this question. King James, believest thou this? Huh? If you do, what difference does it make? Because enter truth in our lives, and it makes all the difference in the world. Now is Christ risen. So there is God's love. But Paul continues to develop this love story and help us understand where we go from here. And as we look at it, we recognize that there is a mystery that takes place. Verse 51 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, any time in the New Testament that you read mystery, The word mystery is there because it is something that is only revealed in the New Testament and has not been revealed through the ages in Old Testament saints. And so so now Paul is opening up the wonder of how God is going to do this. It's a mystery. And yet Paul is starting to unveil it so we can see it just a little bit. I love illusions. Don't you? And I love to know how they do it. Well, not really. Because I like the mystery. Paul is going to tell us how it's going to get done. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed. That's a good nursery verse, isn't it? Some of you will get that a little bit later. On the outside of the nursery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. It's terrible when you have to explain it. Connie's going off. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. That trumpet, huh? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, right? But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, then we believe that those who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And there will be a voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen? I want to go with the upper taker, not with the undertaker. It's a mystery. 
we'll not all sleep, but we're all going to be changed. And what is this change going to be like? Verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Amen? Death is swallowed up in victory. I've had the responsibility this year already of sharing with three church families as their loved ones have been promoted to glory. And you know what, Georgia? Death is swallowed up in victory. And Rex is not here, but when he absenced his body, he was present with the Lord. Right, Vicki? Right, Greta? Gretchen? Amen? Death is swallowed up in victory. And the reality is, this story is a story of triumph. And it's also a story of our victory. Because verse 57 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I like that. My grandson, Porker, who's three, had his first soccer game yesterday. I used to do a lot of soccer refereeing, and when you referee soccer for those little kids, you kind of follow this pack all over this field, you know. Parker learned that soccer's a whole lot more fun when you're scoring goals. His team scored six goals, and Parker had two of them. I texted his daddy and said, Dad, don't burst your buttons. I think I said, don't burst your britches. But I cleaned it up a little bit. And he said, Josh said, yeah, my competitive juices were flowing. A three-year-old with soccer. Let me tell you something. Our competitive juices ought to be flowing because thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And that ought to make a difference in our life. Woohoo! One day we're going to score the victory. Now, until that day, we understand we're in a battle, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, powers, rulers, darkness, this world, spiritual wickedness. We understand that. We're to put on the whole armor of God, right? Belt of truth, shield of faith, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We have to do that, right? But one day, we're going to get to go home as victors. Because thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the resurrection is all about. Victory. Well, I wish I'd have planned to sing victory in Jesus right here. Huh? Oh, victory in Jesus.
He sought me. He bought me with his redeeming blood. I loved him when I, ere I knew him. And all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. And death cannot keep its prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave he arose. Woo! Victory. So how do we respond? Verse 58. Therefore. Now, anytime there's a therefore, you do what? You see what it's there for. It is there because of God's love story. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Therefore, remain steadfast. Don't give up because victory is coming. Amen? Victory is coming. And how are we to act? We are to be steadfast. We are to be immovable. And we are to be abounding in the work of the Lord because we know it's not in vain. You remember that preaching in vain thing, if Christ is not risen? Remember that faith in vain thing, if he's still dead? But now is Christ risen. And our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hallelujah, he arose. And that makes the difference in our lives. Now the question is, what's your love story? What is your love story? Do you know God through His Son, Jesus Christ? Do you have a personal relationship with God because you have trusted Christ as your personal Savior? When you stand before God and God says, why should I let you into my heaven? Will you be able to say, I trusted your Son's gift as my very own and I know your love and I received Christ as my personal Savior? That's the only way you get into heaven. If not, you need to do that. If you have, you have a love story to share with people. If you have, your story is God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. And you did that. That's your story. On this Easter morning, I trust that we're prepared to live out the greatest love story ever told. It began back in the garden because of man's selfishness. And the reason it's not told today is because of man's selfishness. But yet, it's a love story that needs to be shared because Christ is risen from the grave.